Welcome to the Billingshurst Family Church Podcast. For more information or to support our work in Billingshurst and the surrounding areas, please visit billingshurstfamily.church. Well, hopefully um, this morning you would have picked up that we are looking at the Exodus. Um, and thank you, John. John, I think that actually went better than I thought it would. So, so well done. Um, But I love this story, um, and it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, um, and I love how it tells us so much about what God will do to rescue his people. Um, But if I love this story, it pales into insignificance compared to the Israelites themselves, um, both who God actually took out of um, Egypt and up until the modern-day Jews now. Um, This was how the Israelites and Jews thought of themselves as the people that God had taken out of Egypt and then placed in the promised land. And we see this throughout the Old Testament from Exodus 22, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, to Jeremiah 34, 13, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I made a covenant with your ancestors when I brought them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then in Judges 2, 1, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you up out of Egypt. And led you into the land I swore I would give to your ancestors. I said I would never break my covenant with you. And we see up until now with the same thoughts and desires from the modern state of Israel. And we see that in this episode, um, in the history of Israel, it really shapes them as a people. They are the people that God brought out of Egypt. It's crucial to their knowledge of God and and their relationship with him. That throughout the story of the Bible... Um, God is the God who brought them out of Egypt. And my hope is today that we can kind of draw across from that story um, and see how it kind of calls forward to the better exodus um, where Jesus didn't just save Israelites um, but, but came to die and to save all of those who call on his name. Um, so before I pray, you should hopefully all by now have had a worksheet in front of you. Wave it if you've got one. Hopefully even the adults have one too. Yes, yes. Um, So you will see in the top portion um, three lines of words. And as as you go, you will notice that hopefully they will correspond to things that I'm saying. So if we all listen out and draw the lines um, across, um, there's no um, test at the end. We won't mark your sheets, but if the grown-ups help the children and the children help the grown-ups, then we should be good. So I will quickly pray, um, and if I can get a big amen at the end, um, that would be great. Yeah, Lord God, I thank you that we can spend this time together, Lord, um, acting out um, a great story of how you rescue and save your people, Lord. Um, And I pray that that story, um, you will teach something to our hearts this morning. Amen. Amen. Lovely. So, as we start our story, as, as John told us, um, God's people start as slaves. And they were very much real slaves. Um, they made bricks, um, and they, they built those bricks to build store cities for Pharaoh. Um, so, although they hadn't begun as slaves, um, they'd been invited in to keep herds, um, they got too big, and Pharaoh put taskmasters over them. Um, and afflicted them with heavy burdens. Um, This wasn't a spiritual oppression, or they were only slaves in their own heads. This is full-blown hard work. 
The Bible says that they were treated ruthlessly and as second-class citizens. They needed something to get themselves out. Now, you, now you may be going, hey, Dan, I'm not a slave now, and nor have I ever been. Um, and that's true. Um, our slavery kind of looks different from that. It's not so much a circumstance thing as a sin thing. In Romans, Paul, um, who's the author, talks about us starting out as being enemies of God. Our master isn't a king on earth, but sin. Um, it's like we start out on the wrong team. Um, but we share the same effects as the people in the Exodus. We are both separated from God and kind of working towards the targets of the wrong master. I'm sure we all know what it feels like to be kind of ruled by our sin um, and to, whether that's temptations to do something, and it feels like we're powerless to, to fight it. That's the slavery we face. Sin makes us serve the wrong master, and on our own, we can't fight it. It's important we know where we started from, um, that we've rejected God, told him we don't need to be our God, and we're serving another. And just like the Israelites, we can't fix ourselves. But fortunately for us and them, God is powerful and can rescue us from slavery. At this point in, in time, Egypt was the superpower. It had built massive monuments, it had big cities, it had a super strong army, and a divine king called the Pharaoh. And Pharaoh refuses to let God's people leave. So God shows him who the true power is and sends ten, ten plagues. And like John was saying, we can downplay these plagues, but these are awful things. Um, but God does this because he cares about his people. And we see the plague that finally tips Pharaoh is the killing of the firstborn sons of Egypt. So hands up if you are a firstborn son. Do I count as a firstborn son, Dad? I do count as a firstborn son. <laughs> so... Well, Beck, Beck, Beck was one first. That was, um, so keep, keep, keep your hands up. Keep, keep your hands up. So, so look around, and you can see the kind of heavy cost that this plague would have bought. So a lot of people, all of these people, if we were in Egypt, would be dead. Um, and so it shows that there is a heavy cost that it takes for God to redeem his people. Um, but, and just if you're wondering, redeem is just a fancy word for buying, basically. Um, so in order to stop someone being a slave, you basically have to pay a price for them. And as well as the firstborn sons, God also requires the blood of the lamb, as we all acted out, to mark the houses where the Israelites live. It's almost like that lamb substituted for those Israelite firstborn sons. Um, the cost of a lamb is then used by the people again and again to remember what God has done. The sacrifice of a lamb allows them to restart their relationship with God and be his people. And later on, God tells them that by sacrificing lambs and other things, they can continue to fix their relationship with God that their sins cause. Now, turning to us, um, we are, as you might remember, in a similar starting position. We're sinners and we're enslaved to another master who isn't God. And try as we might, we cannot come out of that. Uh, we need another, different, better sacrifice. Um, and Jesus does that. He becomes the lamb. Um, and the, the lamb that must be killed so, so that we can live. Um, and again, it comes at a great cost. It needs someone who's lived a perfect life. Um, but God becomes a man in Jesus Christ. And he does that. And he willingly comes to the cross so that his perfect life can be given to us. And he takes our sin onto him. It's a bit like if you were at school and it was a non-uniform day and you were wearing a red shirt. 
and you do something wrong, and the head teacher says, you in the red shirt, I'm going to come over and tell you off. But Jesus comes along and swaps his white t-shirt for your red t-shirt. Even though he's done nothing wrong, and he sits there and gets told off, he gets the punishment that you deserve. Um, He does this because he has chosen you to be his. God calls the Israelites his people, and he loves them. And the motive for Jesus dying on the cross for us is the same. He loves you so much. There's, there's a passage in a psalm that says, Though my sin is like scarlet, or just really red, his blood washes me white as snow. The lamb that is also killed to save us doesn't just rescue us from slavery and an empty life, but it makes us able to personally know God. In, in Hebrews 7, 26, 27, it says, He is the kind of high priest we need, because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin, He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once and for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for the people's sins. This means whereas in the Old Testament people had to keep making sacrifices to make sure they'd fixed their relationship with God or to become white as snow, Jesus on the cross has done it once and for all. There's no danger of Pharaoh coming back for us. He has done it. And we see it in a classic storyline in kind of films and books. Is one brave person sacrificing themselves for someone else. Um, it might, it's like in Saving Private Ryan, where the whole troop of soldiers all sacrificed them to save Private Ryan. Or recently in Iron Man in, in Avengers Endgame. Or in this clip. Craig. I got a feeling about this one. So we see in that clip that the Bing Bong realizes that they both can't get out of wherever that bit is, can't remember. Um, and it's a really powerful moment um, where he sacrifices himself um, so that Joy can get, um, get out. Um, and while these are all proper sacrifices, they tend to just be a one-time thing. But as our passage shows us, Jesus saved us with his sacrifice for once and for all. If walking out of church this, this, this morning, I save you from, from being hit, hit by a car, unfortunately, that won't save you from being hit by cars for the rest of your life. But So Jesus didn't just offer a sacrifice for one year's worth of our sins, but for all of our sins. And much like through Moses, God asked the people to put their trust in him. Jesus asked us to trust him and invite, uh, invite him to take, our, take away our sins from us. Now, finally, the Israelites weren't just redeemed from slavery. God, God had set them apart a land for them to live in. God had promised their, their ancestors that they could have this land. While they were in Egypt, they weren't home. They were always outsiders. But we see in Exodus 6-7 that even before God had done anything else, he calls the Israelites his people, and he was their God. 
It wasn't because they'd left Egypt that, he was, that he, they were his people. They were his people, and so he rescued them from Egypt and slavery. They then returned to where God intended for them to be, in his promised land. And a lot happens in between, but eventually God's people are in God's land under his rule and reign. And Jesus on the cross has done the same for us. His death means that we can go to the place that God built for us, heaven. And whereas the people in the Bible, they had to go to a place to be with God, God instead now comes and lives with us. But also means that ultimately we will live with God forever. We can spend our lives now coming home. Much like in the verse I've just read, before anything is done, God has called that promise and that chosenness over us. And we get to live in a place with God, ruled by him. We become God's people where God's live, and we live under his rule and reign. So how are we doing with our worksheets, everyone? Done? Done? Found, found, found all the words in the word search? Yep. Great. Um, so what, what, what we're going to do now, we've got a bit of time, is we're going to um, spend some time taking communion um, to, together. I'm going to pass you over to John in a second. Um, but I want us to focus on the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Um, the Israelites shortly after this story forgot what God had done for them. And we can so easily do the same. And in the same way that this story kind of defines the, the Israelites and the Jews now, this story, the story of our life and what Jesus gave to us, should define us in the same way. So we're going to spend some time thinking and remembering about the blood of the Lamb that saved us.